Welcome to the kickoff of Season 2 of Real Crime NYC with Chris, Bill, and Pat. In today's Hot Topic episode, we'll discuss the recent case in the New York City subway where Daniel Penny, a former Marine, has been indicted in the death of Jordan Neely, a mentally ill, homeless, habitual criminal. I have to warn you, there's strong feelings on both sides of this issue. Good Samaritan or vigilante? You decide. But before we get into it, please hit follow to subscribe and get all of our episodes. Okay, guys? What do you got? Pat, before Chris gives the facts of this case and we weigh in with our comments and opinions, I want the listeners to know that this episode was recorded prior to Daniel Penny providing a statement of what took place on May 1st which you will have an opportunity to listen to at the end of this episode. Now, to begin this podcast, I want the listeners to hear from a 33-year-old woman who was brutally beaten in a subway system, unprovoked, by a stranger, and how when things go bad, they go bad real fast. Do you know how scared I am now? Elizabeth is dragged across the concourse and slammed headlong into a wall. I can't see anything on my right side, and it just hurts. She is punched mercilessly and kicked repeatedly. He's talking about the devil. When a man tries to intervene, he is chased away before the suspect turns back to Elizabeth and kicks her five times before he calmly walks away into the transit system. She said there was a good Samaritan that tried to help her, but the attacker chased that individual away and then went back and continued to brutally beat her. This is important because hopefully you will have a better understanding of the emotions and actions that took place with this incident that Chris will walk us through now. So on May 1st of this year, at about 2 p.m., we have Danny Penny riding the northbound F train. Around 2.05 p.m. at 2nd Avenue, Jordan Neely enters the train. There's several witnesses that describe Neely acting very aggressive, making threats, and scaring the passengers. He's yelling, I don't care about going to jail. I don't care about a life sentence. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. About 2.25 p.m., Danny Penny approaches Mr. Neely from behind. He wraps his arm around his neck and he brings him to the ground and he holds him in that position for several minutes. When he releases his hold on his neck, Mr. Neely is unresponsive and unconscious. Police arrive around 2.33. So Chris, at this point before Daniel got involved, I would say the way Jordan Neely was acting on the train that day, anyone that rides a New York City transit system most likely has seen that type of behavior before. That type of emotionally disturbed individual acting irrational towards strangers. So on this day, Jordan Neely's down there, his actions are causing people on that train to feel threatened. Your average New Yorker who has become used to people acting this way would probably put their head down, not make eye contact, and just go about their business. And depending on how threatening the person becomes, maybe they get up, get out of their seat, and move away from the individual. Although you move away, you're saying to yourself, please don't let today be my day. Well, Bill, I, th- I think you painting a good picture there, what went on. And I think everything that happened in that train car that day was rooted in fear of one kind or another. Think about it. This is what's going on in that subway car. In a lot of the subway cars in New York City now, the doors on either end of the car don't open. They're locked. You can't move from one subway car to the other. So in effect, everybody that's in that car is probably trapped in whatever situation is going on in that car. There's an EDP, an emotionally disturbed person on that train, who's just being chaotic. He's yelling, he's harassing people. Some of those people ride that train every day, 
and as reported, so did uh, Mr. Neely ride that train a lot. So they might even know him and know of his past. Now, he had an open warrant for an assault on an elderly woman. I'm not sure if that was on the train or not. But some of the people in that train may have been aware of his uh, chaotic background and the fact that he's assaulted people in the past and just been a nuisance of himself on the train. So imagine he's being chaotic. He's being aggressive. He's getting in people's faces, harassing them. People are recoiling in their seats. Some people are probably moving away from him. And this is the situation in the train. Finally, he throws down his coat. You know, and to me, that's like the last move before you start throwing punches. You throw down your coat. And now it's on. Now, Penny, yeah, a former Marine. And I don't like the way people use the title former Marine as a pejorative. You know, they're trying to paint him as a killer, as being brutal, as being trained to maybe assault people. Well, I prefer to look at it as he's responsible. He's been trained to act when something is wrong. And he just has a good ethic about him as being a Marine. You know, I don't see it as a pejorative at all, but those that would like to use that as a negative, they want you to paint a different picture of Penny. Now, Penny's from Long Island. He's not from New York City. He's from the suburbs. He's aware of the problems in, and I'll put air quotes around it, the city, and specifically the subway. Just in the last couple of weeks, you had people pushed onto the tracks numerous times. There's numerous homeless, mentally ill people in the subway system. Six people were shot on 36th Street on the N-Line not too long ago, and he had to have been aware of that. So he might not be desensitized to all this chaos that's going on. It might be new to him. In New York City, you have a duty to retreat. It's not like other states where it's no retreat. If you're outside your house in New York City, you have a duty to kind of back away from trouble if you can. Like I said, this is an enclosed subway car where there's no retreat. So I think Penny probably felt he had a duty and a responsibility to intervene before anyone got hurt. And the big question here is, were his actions reasonable? So that's what's going to make the decision in this case. Was it reasonable what he did? I think when you see the video, is a three or four minute video that one of the witnesses had shown and what we've all seen. And you see that Penny has his arm around Neely's neck. And as we've discussed previously, you know, you see a three or four minute clip or you see a certain portion of a video, it doesn't tell the whole story. And I think unfortunately, you know, you see that clip, it doesn't show what led up to how Neely got on the ground and how Penny put his arm around him. It doesn't show that. And I think that's important. And then the other thing that it doesn't uh, show is how long did Penny have Jordan Neely in a chokehold? I think when it was originally reported, they said up to 15 minutes. I don't know if you guys know, but I think yeah, that's I, I've seen the 15 minute mark too. They, they retracted that statement. Now they're saying several minutes, but they don't think 15 minutes was accurate. First of yeah. all, any, anyone who's been in that kind of a situation and is expending that kind of energy, really hard to keep someone in, in that tight of a chokehold for 15 minutes. That's a long time. I mean, boxing bouts are three minutes and they're exhausted afterwards. Yeah. And holding somebody in that position to me, is really more of, you know, holy shit. Like I'm fighting for my life here. I'm just holding on for dear life, hoping for help to come quick. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I, I don't look at it like he intends to kill this man. He's just holding on, trying to subdue him, trying to hold him down along with two other passengers, mind you. So that just tells me it's just not an individual thinking. Many people on that train were in fear for their safety, and three people acted on it. 
And you got to look at his background. I think background's very important. You look at his background, you compare it to Neely's background. You have a man who lived a stellar life, 24 years old, served the country for four years, was a rifleman, was a sergeant in the Marines, and now he's in college for architecture. He's trying to live a responsible life. To me, he's standing up doing the right thing we would want other passengers to do for us. And then you look at Neely's history, multiple priors. He was arrested in 2021 for just walking up to a 67-year-old woman on the train and punching her in the face. He was sent to 15 months in a drug rehab facility, which he left and there was a warrant for his arrest. They have two different lifestyles, a good lifestyle and a bad lifestyle. And unfortunately today, New York City wants to villainize the good and make excuses for the bad. And I think that's the that's the problem here. I think Penny had, based on his military training, I think he felt, based on his ethics and his training, that he had a duty to respond to what he saw was a crisis happening in that train. And I don't think he had any ill intentions at all. We have to note, there's no racial charges here. There's no hate crime charges here. People are trying to interject race because he's white and nearly is black. Well, there's no indication at all that any of his actions had anything to do with race. So his military training, it's a double-edged sword. I think the prosecutors are going to argue that he was trained to use a chokehold, and therefore he should have been fully aware of how deadly they could have been. And that's a valid point. The defense is going to say, yeah, he knew they could have been deadly, but he's used a chokehold hundreds of times, literally, in training, and no one has ever been injured. So he wasn't expecting that this would result in death. Probably just as much a surprise to him as everybody else that nearly ends up dead. So they charge him with manslaughter too. They don't charge him the day of, right? They release him, they take him into custody and they release him. Smart move. Normally, when an incident happens, I'll give you a scenario. Two people fighting, let's just say they're on a train, they start getting into a fight, and one person punches another one, knocks him down and kills him. Historically, case precedence is that the person that punched the other person or that hit the other person that caused the death, there's no weapon involved. And you could look back over the last how many years in New York City, the charge would be, believe it or not, assault three. It's a misdemeanor. So somebody died, somebody caused that death by punching them, and the charge is assault three. It's a misdemeanor. Sure. Right, as detectives, we naturally, uh, we normally refer to that as an assault three homicide. Right. It's it's a tough pill to swallow. Wait, somebody causes someone's death and they're charged with a misdemeanor. But in New York City, that's the charge. That's what's been done. So they take him into custody the day of. There's a conferral that would have been done with the Manhattan DA. And the Manhattan DA at that time would make a decision. Are we charging this individual with assault three? Are we not? They release him. They don't charge him. And then you hear this protest. And then you hear the Manhattan DA's office is convening a grand jury. There's 23 people on a grand jury. I need 12 to give a true bill to indict to say, I feel this person more than likely committed this crime. I think the Manhattan DA folded under political pressure. And, and I think he waited for that. I think he waited to see where the political climate swung. I think he waited a few days to see what the outcry was. And then you have some politicians who screamed loud and he acted on it. The Manhattan DA is a professional politician, not a professional prosecutor, in my opinion. So, But to get back to the charges that Bill was talking about, there was really only three choices reasonably available to them. Manslaughter, first degree, which is pretty serious, could carry 25-year penalty. 
But they would have had to prove that Penny intended to injure or, in fact, kill Neely. That's a pretty high bar, and they probably could have never got to that. Manslaughter 2 is the second charge they could have went with, which they did. That can carry a 15-year penalty, also very serious. But they have to prove Penny's behavior was both reckless and he was aware that it could kill Neely. Hey, that's a, a gamble I wouldn't want to be sitting as a defendant on. And the third, criminally negligent homicide, which carries a four-year sentence, is a very lower bar. And they would have had to prove that he acted negligently enough to cause death. And I don't think that would have been a good choice either. So they actually kind of ended up right in the middle with what they thought was the easiest one to prove, which is the job of the prosecutor. I think the criminally negligent homicide would have been in the middle as compared to the manslaughter. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to prove manslaughter too, that he acted recklessly. Again, unless you see him or you got witnesses that are saying he had a strong chokehold on him for 15 minutes, he refused to let go. Witnesses were telling him, you're going to cause the guy's death, and he still has that grip on him. Continued the grip even after he's limp. Right. And I think that's where the only shot that the Manhattan DA may have at getting a jury to unanimously say that this is manslaughter too. Maybe based on the video, based on that video, if you're just looking at certain portions of it, it doesn't look good. I mean, you got a white man that has a black man in a chokehold. You look at the black man, he looks like he's passed out. He, he doesn't look like he's fighting back. But that's not the whole story. And again, the witnesses will tell the whole story. And, and from what I'm hearing is the witnesses are going to say, they felt threatened. Penny comes along. He's the hero. And I think that was the exact words that one of the witnesses said. He's a hero. I would say, and I present this to you guys, if it was two black individuals that got into this, if it was two white individuals that got into this, either two black or two white, if it wasn't a black and white issue, if there wasn't a white man with his arm around a black man, would we even have protest about this case that went on in New York City? Would we even be discussing it right now? Probably not. And the reason being is it's happened prior. It's, it, there are cases that happened like this, very similar, that never make it into the media, that never have protests arise out of it. This I'll, is take, I'll take it one step further, Bill. Forget about the color of the individuals. What if he was just injured and he wasn't dead? Would they still be looking to charge Penny with a crime? Or would he be hailed as a hero in that subway car? I think it went step further. If he was a police officer, regardless of his race, it would definitely go one step further. Yeah, but a police, there's a different standard for a police officer. A police officer is trained to use the least amount of force, to do no harm. You know, a different standard between a police street officer and a civilian. Still a street fight. Regardless of your training, street fight is still a street fight. But the law yep. is applied differently Agreed. to a police officer than it is to a civilian on a train. Agreed. Because you're a small public service. As a matter of fact, it's more restrictive on the police officer. I would say if Penny's a police officer, he, he's, uh, he's, he's, probably, in trouble. he's probably indicted already for murder, too. Chest I mean, compression, arm off. around the neck. You know, He's got a problem. Right? Basically, they Being want police officers to fight with individuals in the street without touching them these days. Look, the chokehold, the word chokehold, the use of a chokehold ever since Eric Gardner or George Floyd. Look at New York City. You can't use a chokehold. Police officers are not allowed to use chokeholds. The city council banned chokehold use. Forget about chokeholds. They're not allowed to cause any compression of the neck or chest. Mm -hmm. Any compression. I can't take my thumb and forefinger and put it on your throat as and, a police officer. The, Never mind my whole arm. The restriction on chokehold started 30 years ago with the Lavodi incident with the football. 
Today, it progressed to what Pat's saying, the compression on the chest. They, they went one step further. There's a lot of nuances in this case. And I think there's strong feelings on both sides. But that's the job of the legal system, is to sort it out, take the emotion out of it, sort it out, and make a decision based on the facts. I think the prosecutor's burden here is to prove that Penny knowingly used deadly physical force without reasonably believing Neely was or was about to use deadly physical force or cause serious physical injury. So that's the burden they have. But I think public sentiment in this case, I mean, our whole system is set up so that majority rules and mob rules, it's not supposed to interject itself into the legal system. It's supposed to be based on the facts and the law. And in this case, I think we've already seen some people's political agendas are already starting to affect this case because they're just not able to ignore either side of this, where some hail him as a hero, some see him as a villain. But then and you got to convict him also in a court of law. And, and that, brings up, that brings up the question at trial, does he go for a bench trial and let a judge decide? Or does he get 12 New York citizens, albeit from New York City? In New York County, County, I think I'd go problem. to a judge. I'm not so sure because he may actually have a little bit of a legal culpability here where you only have to get one out of the 12 to say it's reasonable. And, you know, in the voir dire, I would certainly be looking to pick people who ride that train every day. 100%. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just going back to what I was saying before, I, I think it all depends on do they have someone that will say or do they have a video that will show him using that chokehold for extended period of time? And at a certain point, when that one witness says, you don't want to catch a murder charge, one of the witnesses tells Penny, based on what he does after that, does he release him a little bit? Does he continue to have a strong grasp on him? That's all going to be used by the prosecutor. You're going to have witnesses get up there and they're going to say, this is a hero. I was there. I was I was afraid. I was, I was afraid. afraid. The other thing is Penny, in the heat of the moment, might not have even been hearing or comprehending those things that people are saying to him. He's in a struggle here. He's he's in a fight. He might not even be taking in when people are saying those things to him. His adrenaline's rushing. He sees Neely doing what he's doing. He sees him threatening people. I mean, it's almost come to a point in New York City in the subways, until somebody actually hits you, yeah. you can't do anything. Sad I mean, think about it. There are people on the F train right now being threatened. And what they're doing is, as you're saying, Pat, they're trapped on this train. They're getting up out of their seat. And they're moving a distance away from this individual. You know, you have some politicians getting involved and saying, you know, nobody asks Neely, can we help you? I would say to that politician, when was the last time you were down in transit and you tried to help somebody that's irrational? Because there's somebody down in a transit system right now that's acting like Neely. They're not understanding you. They're not listening. They're not hearing what you're saying. And they could act out. That's why people are being thrown onto the subway tracks, because they're irrational. And then they're saying that the system is, has let Neely down. What are these politicians doing to improve the system, to help the Neelys that are out there today, that are still alive today? Well, yeah, it's, it's not an easy fix. I mean, this is a very complicated uh, issue, but clearly something has to be done about the criminal element and the mentally ill, not just in the subways, but you see them all over the city now. Something has to be done. It's just a matter of what is that? What does that look like? And I think, you know, our city council which would put processes in place, uh, they don't know what to do either. And as far as people helping him, did his family abandon him or did they help as much as they could until it became untenable and then they just had to let him go live his life of craziness? You know, we don't know these things. Well, it's trending in the wrong direction. And we spoke about in the past with the jails closing, 
and more people with mental illness out on the street. They have no control. They can't force them to get help. They can't force them into rehabs. Uh, and it's just getting worse. And as the migration population grows in New York City, it's doubling. It's exacerbating the problems. Neely's mom was brutally murdered in 2007. If we had a good system, a solid system, in 2007, they would have seen Neely, the son of the murdered mom, and they would have said, what can we do for you? What help can we get? And then from there, you hear his family saying that he spiraled. He spiraled. So from 2007 until this incident happened, where was his extended family? Where was his friends? Where was the system? You know, he assaulted a 65-year-old woman not too long ago before his death. You could say the system fails, but there are people right now that could improve the system, that could help the system, that could help people like Neely. What are they doing to help him? Well, all the bad policies by New York City legislators and New York State legislators, for that fact, in the last five, six years have added to this problem and caused it because they've increased the sense of lawlessness everywhere in New York City. Then no one's being held accountable. Multiple arrests. Neely was arrested, I think I read, 42 times in eight years. That's pretty much one arrest every other month for eight years. And we're not in count uh, counting how many times he's interacted with law enforcement that they didn't arrest him, that they had to intervene and didn't make an arrest. So, I mean, come on, at some point, wasn't this bound to happen? I mean, think about it. He assaulted a 65-year-old woman. To your point, Pat, he was arrested 42 times. How many other women were bullied on a subway system or intimidated on a subway system? And then you got Danny comes along and he, he interacts with him and intercedes, never intending to kill him. There are people out there right now doing the same thing. And the challenge is, what is the city doing about it? Well, and think about it. There were three people involved in containing Neely during his craziness. Not one, not just Penny. There were two other adult males, at least in that train, that thought Neely was enough of a danger or a threat to assist Penny in subduing him and holding him down. Now, the question is, why are we not hearing of an arrest or an indictment or even an investigation of these other two individuals? I mean, in the video, you could see one of them has him in an armbar while Penny has him in a headlock. The other one's holding his shoulder down. So the argument could be made. It wasn't just Penny in that train that thought there was a real threat coming from Neely. At least two other adult men in that train thought so. And why isn't anyone looking at them for charges the same way they are in Penny? Is it perhaps because they're not male whites who are former Marines? Well, I don't know, but it begs the question, why is no one talking about these other two? I agree with you, Pat, but I can see a strategy here in prosecution. We have to go for the big fish first. And if we're unsuccessful with the big fish, then we don't go after the other two. If we are successful, and we saw it in the Floyd incident, right, with the police officers, they went after the main guy, and then they went for everybody else. So if they are successful with Danny, do they go after perp two and three? But now if it, the prosecution's case is not that strong, they may need perp two and three to cooperate and use them. And they have leverage over them and say, hey, we won't arrest you, but you're going to testify. I'm not just talking about the prosecutors. Why isn't none of uh, the other two individuals being discussed in the press? It's interesting, Chris, when you describe them, you say perp two and three. Just for so, clarification purposes, but, that but that's it. it. I'm, I'm just, I'm just no, saying, I get it. I get it. if you look at it, they're really heroes. If he doesn't die, 
They're heroes. Okay, they came hero to the two rescue, and three. Right. They came to the rescue of people who were being threatened in a subway system that possibly could have been assaulted, murdered, thrown on a track. And here we are, you know, discussing it. And clearly, you know what, what our beliefs are, you know, from listening to this. And yet society has us describing them as right. as So it perps, depends on who you talk to. Which, which is insane. Which is Vigilante which is, two and three, perp two and three, the, hero two and three. It hey, depends on who's what, what optics you're looking at at this case. Because I, 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 I think the, the term vigilante, and I've used it myself so far since we've been speaking, is kind of bombastic in this situation. They're not vigilantes by any means. No, not at all. And Penny is not, because a vigilante goes out with the idea that he's going to punish someone for the crimes they're committing. I don't think Daniel Penny had one ounce of ill will in his heart when he went on that train that day. No, he, had he good reacted intentions. to the circumstances. He had good intentions. Have you ever seen someone get stabbed? I have. Yep. And it happens real quick. If Neely has a knife on him or a razor blade on him, he's cutting people up. So when they're bringing him down and restraining him, they don't know if he has any weapons no. on him. They just know that he's threatening, and they're doing what they can do to prevent him from harming people. And that goes into the oh shit factor I'm talking about. He's holding on to him for dear life until it's over, because he doesn't know what could come next. Right. I, I think you see it. I see that. It's just that I think when you just show that photo that they show of a white man I mean, that even has as a police black officers. man in a chokehold. When we get into fights, I've been in a situation where I held on to the guy as tight as I could until help came. Just holding, 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 and hoping for the best. There's I guarantee somebody you, bigger and stronger out there. I guarantee you, Penny was on the floor of that subway car with his arm around Neely's neck, thinking to himself, okay, I've grabbed an alligator by the arms. Now what do I do? I have him. I can't let him go. But please let someone respond that's going to take this burden off of me, as in the police. And, you know, help out with this situation. And he was just going to hang on until that happened. And he does say, call the police, call 911. And I think, I think we have to acknowledge it's, it really, uh, you know, I'm not just giving lip service here. It really is a tragedy whenever a life is lost, no matter what that life is. I mean, he's mentally ill. How responsible is he based on his mental illness? But on the other hand, what could have been the outcome if it went the other way, you could have had injured or dead people on that train at his hands. So it's a very nuanced situation. It's I think we can all agree it's a tragedy that he's dead. But would we rather, you know, someone on that train was physically assaulted and injured? Well, you got to remember somebody worse. You got to remember someone also. We're just getting over the Brooklyn incident. Guy gets on the train, multiple multiple uh, guns, IEDs, and he starts shooting people, letting IEDs ignite on the train. Just a year or so ago, we had that in Brooklyn. How many people were shot? So that's Six. fresh. Six. And that's fresh in all these commuters' minds. Absolutely. And not for nothing. If, if he was a little more adept at what he was doing, the body count could have been much, much higher in that case. He was uh, basically inept. Or and if he was on that train, he maybe still shot six, six people. people shot. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, did think about it. One, one day you're the hero, the next day you're the villain. Yeah, if Penny was on that train, maybe uh, maybe he sub it would have subdued that uh, perp in that incident. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody used to tell me a pat on the back is about six inches away from a kick in the ass. So be careful what you do. <laughs> That's great. Well, either way, 
I think we're going to have to stay tuned and see what the criminal justice system does with this. We hope uh, some kind of justice is rendered absent all the political rhetoric and all the extreme uh, views on each side. Since we recorded this episode and provided our comments and opinions, Daniel Penny has provided a statement. So let's hear what he has to say. In this instance, I was coming from school. I got out of class around 2.15 and I took the J Street, I was at J Street Metro Tech, took the Uptown F train. At 2nd Avenue, a man came on, stumbled on. He was appeared to be on drugs. The doors closed and he ripped his jacket off and, violent, and threw it at the people sitting down to my left. I was listening to music at the time and he was yelling, so I took my headphones out to hear what he was yelling. And the three main threats that he repeated over and over was, I'm gonna kill you, I'm prepared to go to jail for life, and I'm willing to die. You know, this is a, this was a scary situation. Mr. Nearly came on, he was, he was threatening. He's, he's a, I'm 6'2 and he was taller than me. And there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage and Courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying these threats. I couldn't just sit still. Some people say that I was holding on to Mr. Ely for 15 minutes. This is not true. I mean, between stops is only a couple minutes. So the whole interaction lasted less than five minutes. Some people say I was trying to choke him to death, which is also not true. I was trying to restrain him. Uh, You can see in the video, there's a clear rise and fall of his chest, indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from him being able to carry out the threats. And then some people say that this is about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers, a lot of whom were people of color. A man who helped restrain Mr. Neely was, was a person of color. After listening to the statement by Daniel Penny and hearing from us our opinions and comments, hopefully you have a better understanding of what took place on May 1st. And uh, we'll get back to you with, a, with an update when, uh, when this goes through the courts. I'm Pat. I'm Chris. And I'm Bill. And that's that. Thank you for joining us for this hot topic on Real Crime NYC with Chris, Bill, and Pat. Hit subscribe and follow us for free access to our most up-to-date episodes. You can find Real Crime NYC on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you when we see you.